And welcome to the Wrestling Headlines WWE Raw Review. My name is Matt Mayer, a.k.a. Imp. And we are live here on Wrestling Headlines YouTube and available in podcast form later. Links in the description or head over to WrestlingHeadlines.net for all your latest wrestling news. Raw was a mad one. (laughs) So I want to get this off my chest, like, immediately. Like, off the bat, to start with, start with, Monday Night Raw, overall, was a less crap show than it has been. Monday Night Raw was less crap <laughs> than it has. I'm not saying it's been a good show. I'm saying it's been a less crap show than it has. It's still not very. It still needs a lot of work. It's still not a good show, but it was way better than recent weeks. As in, I've been talking bottom of the barrel, really low motivation to even watch the thing <laughs> type of stuff. But I genuinely, I'm most, I was mostly fine with this week's show. Maybe a two out of ten. Which, when you've been on ones or zeros for like a run, a two out of ten shows like a breath of fresh air. <laughs> Genuinely, like, oh, it was, it was lovely to watch. I enjoyed it. It was nice. But then it's how you leave them. And the main event just took away all of that momentum, just right back down. And it's the type of thing, again, where those, as, as, I, as myself and Sir Sam found out where we ran the... Uh, like the uh, like end of year awards, about to say like matches of the year stuff, but that's not quite. It was the end of year awards for everything. When we ran that, we found out that those who like the fiend stuff, they really do like the fiend stuff, and it shot him up the end of year votings. And there's enough people where that happened quite consistently. Like, assumably, the fiend stuff gets numbers on YouTube on WWE's YouTube channel for a reason. Watching Roy wouldn't know what it is. <laughs> like, you wouldn't know that. And, uh, yeah, this week's main event, Alexa Bliss and Lily's Playground with Shayna Baszler. My immediate reaction, what the hell is this? <laughs> and I was a buddy who, like, I guess throughout 2019, I guess my peak in terms of The Fiend was definitely before Seth Rollins beat him at Hell in a Cell. <laughs> like, damn, that concussion still... The, the kind of on, on-scene idea was crap, but the main big thing they had to get doing. Anyway, fall back. <laughs> Easily, as we all know, Heend, Heend, Fiend hype main was going into, I guess, coming out of SummerSlam after that match with Finn Balor. And the kind of like John Cena Fiend about like, oh, you've done a decent job kind of rebuilding him, done something interesting, done something different, in crappy circumstances as well. But then we get to where we were with the Randy Orton, Bray Wyatt storyline. And it's, like, for me, it's a massive, massive problem, which I'll get into. I've got words on this. (laughs) So, the actual review of Raw itself, it may, depending on how quickly you get through this little analysing slash rant, this could be the entire video. (laughs) I've called it a Raw review. But if I don't get through this quickly enough, uh, if if I'm still at this bit of 40, (laughs) wait and see, (laughs) wait and see. Uh, Yeah. So apologies in advance of still getting over that cough. I'm miles better than I was this time last week. I'm not going to be dead after this, but I, yeah, you're going to hear me cough every now and then. I'll disguise it into laughter as much as I can. So, with this segment, further and further down into the well WWE go with the spooky spook. Like, immediately, this kind of storyline, if you're making this kind of storyline up as you go, 
Like, it, it's just automatically landing them in more and more nonsense. <laughs> you try and up yourself from the last week. Like, basically, you force yourself to be up Shit's Creek without a paddle. Like, that phrase comes to mind. <laughs> just making it up, making it up, going further and further up the stream. And you're not taking into account at all what you're going to do the further in you go. <laughs> so, yeah, you haven't got anything to direct you or anything. Uh, yeah, like... Characters quite literally drowning in this crap. <laughs> it's just, oh. uh, and Alexa Bliss telling Shayna, apologise to Lily, Shayna. Apologise, Shayna. <laughs> apologise. <laughs> and that's uh, uh, immediately, oh, oh, she's actually going to do it. Oh, uh, yeah, with a faux apology, like the classic, I'm sorry. I didn't turn on you sooner, psych. <laughs> that kind of a heel promo from Shayna. And it leads to her stamping on the doll in a big show of authority that like she is not scared by this doll she's going to be the aggressor she's going to stamp on the doll and show it what's what keeping in mind the sentence i am saying <laughs> the subject is <laughs> the focus of these sentences is the doll <laughs> it's ridiculous as it is uh, at least basil later kind of addresses that a little bit we'll get to it alexa with her oh no as the thunderdome screens start to flicker down so Shayna leaves like a smart person, but lots of pyro <laughs> fires up and on the ramp as she's walking back. Eventually, with her running away scared, uh, turns out Basler's fear weakness is fire. <laughs> That's quite understandable, actually, <laughs> when you think about it. <laughs> and then back into our, what I assume is her locker room after kind of stumbling about backstage, she finds herself in her locker room. Conveniently, there are cameras set up everywhere for this. <laughs> Staring into the mirror, in a like freestanding mirror in her locker room, she staring into the mirror. She sees Lily, turns around, doesn't see anything. She looks in the mirror, and Lily's still there. She's freaking out, and ah, ha, 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 we're at this point now <laughs> with the making up nonsense as you go. We've reached Warrior Hogan. <laughs> we're at this point. <laughs> Wrestling fans recognise this bollocks for a mile away. <laughs> we know this bit in an instant. It's like, ah, you're at this point of creativity. <laughs> we know this place. Uh, yeah, um, but yes, cue warrior in a mirror as Lily's reflection freaks Shayna out enough into shattering it, which is how the show goes off air. Shatters the mirror, lights go down, Shayna is like, oh no, and then with a little shout afterwards, that's how it went off air. Interesting one. <laughs> like, was that the further trick, or was there not really a further trick at all? Uh, is Shayna at the end of it is just putting her hands on her head in an ah, no, tempered Lorraine Kelly reaction? <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, <laughs> all right then. Uh, this whole thing immediately trashed online. Uh, me as an Englishman, I got on this morning, I can't remember what it was, like seven or eight, and it was all there <laughs> with the amount of time it was ago. So I could figure out how close to the show ending these reactions were. Yeah, it was all there. Immediately trashed online. And by the time I was there, I saw the discourse. It was being talked about as one of the worst segments in raw history. Doesn't mean it is because no one's shagged a corpse. <laughs> but the fact, the fact that as a wrestling fan, you know that that's, that's the line we've all got. <laughs> it's, it's a weird place. <laughs> Uh, but the fact the conversation is happening about this being the worst segment of all time tells you all you need to know. Because again, in terms of worst segment of all time, you've got to just 
for some reason do something which is beyond offensive, you know, which Katie Vick ended up being. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> you have to go beyond the pale. And uh, this was just a bit crap. Which is, yeah, yeah, so even if there are little notes in there, it's still that the whole production part of WWE, this still isn't good. <laughs> so I can see that. I'm somebody who's not hated the Fiend stuff as much as other people. It's kind of why I stuck through it to WrestleMania last year with John Cena stuff. I really like that. I was fine with the Fiend kind of in his uh, Thunderdome era, I guess, in a way, when he was on top of SmackDown. Uh, I thought his entrance in the Thunderdome, I'm somebody where I enjoy the entrance so much as I was kind of get into the Fiend character and I liked the little stories he was having. I didn't mind the way that characters spun off of him and had blatant reactions to it, which is part of a WWE problem. So it's just nice to see rest characters having an like, after the feud reaction to being in the feud. <laughs> so that was nice. Um, but we'll get, I'll get to it in a second, but it's when we reach Bray Wyatt, Randy Orton. So... First off, before <laughs> so that's like kind of like the the, the bit the writer hates where we've gone through what has just blatantly just happened. But now for kind of the analysis before I do get into it, if you're enjoying this, all the power to you. Good for you that you are able to find enjoyment in this. Good for you. I'm not. I'm not gonna. Rip, I'm not somebody who. If you find enjoyment somewhere, why would I rip into that? I'm never gonna rip into somebody for liking a thing. Like I'm talking about wrestling. <laughs> how could I possibly speak <laughs> but uh, yeah if you enjoy this all power to you I'm about to rip it apart <laughs> so uh, so yeah so, uh, with, that, with that kind of sense of something doesn't have to be quote unquote good for people to be able to find enjoyment in it Con Air is a film me and my family will watch every year it's not a good film <laughs> but it's a family favourite <laughs> so Case in point, I've brought myself down a level by saying that. <laughs> so, yeah. so, for me, critically, the Alexa Bliss Lily arc is categorically bad as we stand right now. But I feel really harsh saying that because, like, for me, it's, it's like for me to critique it, there has to actually be something there. But my critique is that there isn't anything. Like, this is made up week to week as they go. Like, there is no mapped out plan. There is no story in place for me to analyse or pull apart. It's just a Charlie in Sunny and Philly with his mad red threads linking together the conspiracy theory. <laughs> like, sure, they link, but there's nothing there. <laughs> there is, it's, just, it's just things happening presented as if there's something deeper at play. And we've learned from Wyatt versus Orton that there simply isn't. Like, there is no meat to this bone. Is there even calcium? <laughs> like, there's, there is no plan. And that's what we learned from Bray Wyatt, Randy Orton. It's what I hinted at earlier. With Bray Wyatt versus Randy Orton, hinting that there's something deeper at play, that we were building to something, that when Randy Orton lights a match, that's because later on we're going to see Bray Wyatt on fire, or something like that. The, the issue is, that was never the case. It was made up as they went along, and just trying to up themselves or move on or create something interesting spinning off of the last thing but doing that every week if not every couple of weeks and you get to a point where it's, it's got to be going somewhere to not even know what the point of the big Wrestlemania payoff is as in to not even to not have an end game you don't have again you don't have to do this for every single storyline Cedric Alexander's mid-card flubbering about doesn't need 
I guess, a plan of this detail going all the way to WrestleMania. But specifically, <laughs> when you've got this kind of character and storyline that's hinting at something deeper, and it's a little bit out there, so they do something weird, but the whole point is it'll make a little bit more sense as you get further forward in time. The closer you get to that big SummerSlam, the big WrestleMania, where it's meant to make sense. But, if you, but there is no plan. <laughs> there is no, oh, don't worry, this thing that maybe was a bit weird earlier on, or later on that'll make more sense because we know where we're going with this. No, no, none of that at all. If anything makes sense, it's because it was written in hindsight to then make sense when in the moment it didn't make any sense. <laughs> and then they try and link it together afterwards and hindsight write it instead of, oh, now it makes perfect sense rather than trying to convince you it does. Uh, yeah, for this specific kind of character to not have an end game, an end point, a place they are going in direction with it, for me, it's going to end up in worse and worse waters. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's it's quite dis, not, not disheartening, but a complete lack of faith that this is going anywhere. And that's kind of why I see this. When Alexa Bliss was giving her talks in the playground for weeks and weeks after WrestleMania, and we're only just recently seeing her interact with the wrestlers themselves in the ring, teasing that she'd be going after somebody. After Wyatt Orton where the lesson should have been with this kind of character, with these kind of arcs, have an end point, know where you are going with it, know exactly what you are doing. Uh, maybe you can be a bit looser on the exact week to weeks, you know, it's wrestling just in case, but you, you vaguely know everything or a bit more than vaguely. <laughs> you know where like the beats for this story that need to happen. This is still being made up as it goes along. That's what it absolutely screams. Obviously, it'd be nice if I was right. Sorry, I was wrong. <laughs> That's the self-ego coming in. <laughs> yeah, it'd be nice if I was wrong. And it turns out, no, they knew exactly where they were going with it. We just wait. It Sometimes it stretches out, so you hit the pay-per-view beat, and then you go to the next thing. But this doesn't scream that. This feels exactly the same as with White and Orson. And the only reason that's a bit... makes me feel a bit down-watching, Rob, a bit disheartening, is it that that means there was a really big lesson coming out of Wyatt Orton. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to do a thing like this, you've got to have something actually driving that deeper thing at play. It can't, you can't hint at something and pretend that it's there, but you don't actually know anything, you haven't got any idea. This kind of character you need, like, you don't need to tell me, I don't need to know, but you, the writer, you do. <laughs> you do need to know. And, uh, yeah, like, it's like, I'm, I'm, like uh, something that I'd be a bit fearful of is what we got with the Roman Reigns storyline, where it's one of the things I was taught, like one of the first things taught at university when I was doing the, the script writing part of the film production course, one of the first things I was taught was when you are pitching an idea for a script, don't ever hide any of the twists or anything, because you're pitching to the people that will make the thing, they've got to fund it, they want to know what the twist is, so, so they know what they're funding. And the, my, one, of my, one of the things I went, I, I, my eyebrow lifted when I was applying that quote to the WWE writer room, it doesn't mean the writers are doing it, but when the Roman Reigns, who attacked Roman Reigns, when that storyline was happening, who tried to murder Roman Reigns by pulling down the, uh, whatever it was, <laughs> the scaffolding, <laughs> whatever it was on top of him, in an absolutely fantastically unstoryboarded production segment. <laughs> it's, it's, oh, it's, it's magnificent. But 
in that, what we were told was Vince knows where he's going with it. He's not like telling everybody, but he knows where he's going with this. There is an end point. Don't you worry. Immediately, flag in my head. What do you mean people don't know this? <laughs> what do you mean he's keeping it to himself? So it's the part of the thing of why would you not tell the people working on your production where this is going? And obviously the excuse is, well, you don't want the people to, for it to get leaked or anything. You don't want any of that kind of thing. You don't want what the... He's got a big twist planned or everything. No, it is. But my kind of immediate reaction is, we could tell your writers. <laughs> it's just for them not to know. For you to keep it so tight, so like one person, if it was even that, or if that one person was quoted saying that they were told the same thing, immediately it's like, does he though? <laughs> I mean, I mean, does he? <laughs> Just immediately out there, does he know where this is going? And you, all you have to do is watch the thing. Evidently not. <laughs> Evidently there was not an end point for this. <laughs> and if there was, it got massively lost in the way where there was no idea of how to get there. You know, just Eric Rowan 2.0 just plucked out of your ass. What a <laughs> what an ending out of, well, we need something. <laughs> Crap, what do we do? <laughs> and that's the way white Randy Orton thing more and more felt like that as we went further along. Just like the Roman Reigns, who attacked Roman Reigns segment. No different. Blatantly, it's just that massive feeling of like making it up to go along, and turns out that was the case. Like the wrestlers themselves were desperate to know what what's going on, what is the end point here, and they were never told what it was because they never knew even the week of WrestleMania. Then the next thing with Exodus is well, that's is, this is the very next storyline after that. Surely the lesson learnt here is you just put in the time to map something out. This feels exactly the same, <laughs> no different whatsoever. And it, for me, it's not weird that Alexa Bliss is main inventing Raw. She's been main inventing Raw ever since her and Bray Wyatt came over. Bray Wyatt there or not, Alexa Bliss has been like a main event closing angle. It's normally been a weird spooky spook thing. It's just end of the show on a... All right, then. <laughs> this was no different. <laughs> it's definitely in that. All right, then. But it's 100% hit that who attacked Roman Reigns point of me just watching somebody make stuff up from week to week, not having any idea where any of it is going. It's like, oh... Well, how, what, what should I do? Like, I'm not forgetting as well. But I'm not forgetting the whole Baszler versus a doll. <laughs> I'm not forgetting that thing, <laughs> that level of critique. But like, that's your show-ending cliffhanger: the doll in the mirror, the weird thing which is ultimately like, immediately parodied and related to Warrior Hogan and just the goofiness with that entire thing. Looked on in hindsight with a bit of nostalgia, goofy uh, laughing at it. But to do it here in a bit more of a serious vein, it's, it, it immediately means. Uh, Shayna losing to the mind games that she thought she was too cool to lose. She thought she was so cool in the moment that she was obviously going to win the mind games. She can't be got like that. But it's a cliffhanger to what? Like, even if what happened in the episode made sense and it was fine. And this was Shayna Baszler did something to Lily. You don't do that. And for the first time, we after Alexa Bliss talking about it for a couple of months, we're going to see that for the first time. But when it's also paired with that essence of making it up week to week as you go, it's a cliffhanger ending. But to what? As in, I don't have faith they know. As in right now they know. As in they'll make it up over the weekend or whenever they write it. I don't know. I'm not in the process. <laughs> but it's like, yeah. 
a cliffhanger ending to what? Like, what, what substance is there for me to actually have hope in and get excited for happening? When they don't even know where it's going next, how can I read into anything they present me? <laughs> it's just stuff happening. <laughs> like, why would I care? And, like, what will Shane's reaction to this be next week? I don't know, because the writers themselves don't know. How am I meant to feck in, though? <laughs> and let's just, like, overall, just that overall feeling of... I was trying to think, how do I sum up my entire feelings on this? And I've just put, like, trash. This, this is trash. But calling it that is if it's even of enough merit to review. Because what is there? What is there actually here? It's just stuff being made up as it, as it goes along. What are you building up? What is the beat going to? It's just stuff happening. And it gets to that point where nothing matters. As in, I feel that's where a fair bit of more is. There's just that make not planning stuff out, and you just some quite, quite often the mid card is trying to fill time. I feel like this week was a lot better, and uh, the way the show built up as well is a much bigger fan of the way that I don't like <laughs> the WWE, especially the pay per view trope where the idea is peaks and troughs. As in, if you have your massive high, then you have your low, and you build up to your next high, or like the roller coaster pay per view booking idea. I personally don't like that. Obviously, that's a massive like personal preference thing. That's not something to slap on good or bad, black or white. It's just a personal preference. I like my show to like start with something lower. I guess the New Japan method, where you start with like the lower matches and you slowly build, and then the final four, five <laughs> segments at Wrestle Kingdom are all absolute bangers because they're like your biggest matches of the year, back to back to back. I felt like this week's more it built up a lot better than past weeks. They're like the first hour was a lot more slow building and elevating, and then eventually you got your bigger, bigger stuff as the match as the show went on. And yeah, I'm, I'm all for that. But this this final segment <laughs> that was a bit of a tangent going into a bit of positivity because again, this week's raw was so much. I found this, this week's raw so much better than what they we've been getting. Like really, it's the best raw since WrestleMania possibly. But that's not. Like a massive praise because I'd still rate it two, maybe. <laughs> There's so much I don't really care about. It's individual little things, and that ending maybe drags it right down quite a bit. But yeah, it's just you've gotten to that point where you've been making it up week to week, stringing it along for so long. And I am definitely including the stuff from like before. Because I remember in the Alexa Bliss interview. Where she's saying, like, as soon as like when she first joined the fiend, was that this time last year or a bit later? Where like one of the quotes she was saying was, well, "Well, she's really enjoying doing this angle with the fiend because they don't know where it's going. Every time they come into work, is well, what can we do next? What can we? What exciting thing can we take this? But if you do that, month after month after month after month with a character which is hinting at something deeper being there, and you're having to string not just the fans but the plot along in order to do that." Those strings begin to fray. And we're at that point now. The strings are frayed. And I have zero trust that any of these segments know where they're going. <laughs> it's just things happening. Then next week you try and follow on from that and try and make it make sense. Again, stringing it along. And that's what this is. That's, it. that's just what this angle is. And I'm at that point where I feel like they have to put in quite a bit of effort to convince me otherwise. That you can fall onto something great. Case and example, who attacked Roman Reigns? 
No, that, that's, they didn't know where that was going. There was no obvious plan for that. That said, we did end up on main eventer Eric Rowan with an amazing run. Which is <laughs> like a couple of months where he generally did feel like a big deal on SmackDown. Like they'd accidentally, well not accidentally, they'd kind of fallen on a really strong main event act. He, he, like maybe he wouldn't have lasted forever as a main event act, but he was really strong for a period. There was no intention of him being there. Like got drafted to Raw immediately. Oh, this is where we actually see you. <laughs> he dropped off the face so quickly. Uh, yeah, but. Yeah, they accidentally fell on something and they ended up with something strong, something good. Uh, well, I wouldn't be surprised. They wanted to do Roman Reigns, Daniel Bryan and didn't know <laughs> didn't know where they were going with it. That's what they ended up with. Uh, so you can fall onto something great. They've done it in the past and I've said before, WWE are often really good at hindsight booking. But what I mean by that is it makes months sometimes of it not making any sense. It's putting out crap television where none of it makes any sense. Then when it comes time for the pay-per-view, you put it together, you make it make sense, and you kind of put that on your go-home show or the one before, and suddenly you've, you've hindsight booked it relatively well. But then it's rinse and repeat. <laughs> so, oh, well done. By the time you got to the pay-per-view, you managed to tie everything together, even though it was written as it went along, but you, you put the time in, you tied it all together, you made it as much sense as you could, and you made the best out of a bad situation. Well done. Do it. They did it again. Then they just do it again. <laughs> it's just like the lesson doesn't get learned, and it's the exact same thing for me for this Alexa Bliss Lily thing as with Bray Wyatt versus Randy Orton. The lesson wasn't learned, and we're in the exact same scenario. It being made up as you go along, and none of it means anything because there is no meaning behind it because they're making it up. They don't know what they're going to do the next week, which yeah. Yeah, just, just stringing along, and I'm trying to leave out stringing the audience along because that's putting a, something, a shade of guilt on it, but you string the plot along. <laughs> it's just trying to make it make sense. Uh, yeah, I would like there for like, on one of the weeks just something which completely flips my opinion on this. <laughs> just a sign of foreshadowing or something which just lets me know, no, we do generally know where we are going with this. It's not random. It's not made up as we could go along, but yeah, that's not how the show is written. That's not how like this isn't the only segment where this is an issue. It sticks out so much because of the kind of characters they're doing it with and the level of I guess absurdity in it. That, that doesn't necessarily mean bad. I'm a massive Toriyano fan. <laughs> that character is absurd. <laughs> the Luchasaurus. That is absurd. <laughs> but that there's. There, I can take that. I can take absurd. I like the silly side of wrestling. We'll get to that later. <laughs> when we get to Drew McIntyre. Sword out of nowhere. I loved that. <laughs> so I'm fine with the absurd. But yeah, something like this at this level where there is often quite a more serious twang on it, I guess. Yeah, to, to not know where you're going with any of this. Yeah, <laughs> it does. It just got to that point. It has got to that point where I've gone from somebody that's like, no, it's different. I'm, I'm perfectly fine with different. I like variety on my wrestling shows. I'm fine with this. To where we are now, where again the strings are frayed. You're still pulling it along. You're not going anywhere. You like me at this point, just <laughs> just pull, pulling the whole segment along on fraying strings because it's not it's not going. Where, what what you don't know where you're going next. <laughs> I think that's a perfect segment because that's clearly 
clearly I hadn't scripted that. <laughs> I feel like that's the perfect way, perfect note to end that bit on. Yeah, but yeah, it turns out it's taken me like half an hour to get through it. <laughs> but that is my kind of whingy moan on the Alexa Bliss stuff. Again, there are people who genuinely do enjoy it. And again, the end of year awards really like, opened mine and Sam's eyes. Just this sheer number of people who really elevated very right up those lists. And we're not talking like a couple of people either. I think we're talking... I can't remember people voted in the end. <laughs> I want to say we're talking like a few, a couple thousand, I want to say. I can't remember what the final count was. I might be mixing it up a different year. <laughs> but yeah, this wasn't a small number of people. Like There are quite a few people really into this stuff. And I can see the, some merit if you are completely able to put aside like all production critiques <laughs> and take everything at ultimate face value without any thinking of future, past, and in terms of you know just how the thing's actually made and done. <laughs> it's just yeah, if you're able to ignore all of that, so yeah, if you think the Fast and Furious films are the most emotional stuff you've ever seen. If the Fast and Furious films make you cry out of sheer emotion, maybe, <laughs> maybe you're at a certain kind of film taking in level to enjoy this. Yeah, that's, what, that's what I'll go with. That felt like a massive insult. <laughs> what I meant is it's very surface level in Fast and Furious. So if that does it for you, you don't need anything more complex. Therefore, this would also do it for you because <laughs> it's very shallow. <laughs> Just, yeah. Yeah, that's my uh, that's my little moan out of the way. Because again, I thought this was the best Raw since WrestleMania. And by that, I mean, well done, you got a 2 out of 10 rather than a 0 or a 1. <laughs> and again, because of that, this show felt like a breath of fresh air. I really enjoyed the way it built. I loved the random moments that <laughs> got a reaction out of me. There's still critiques. There's still some moans in there. It wasn't perfect. Again, two, maybe I'll bump it to, because I've stuck between two and a three, and I feel like three's too generous if I was going out by. So maybe two and a half, because two feels too low, three feels too high. Maybe just increase the scale so this maps out better. Five out of ten. <laughs> Do it like that. Uh, but anyway, so it kicked off this June 8th edition of uh, Monday Night Raw. And I'll be honest, Monday Night Raw has this effect on me where I don't want to watch NXT. And it's got nothing to do with NXT. It's just after covering Raw, I just want a day where I've got nothing to do with that company. <laughs> I just want a day to recover, it turns out. Uh, that said, like, actual mental health status, it's way better to have back-to-back -back and have a massive time to recover than it is to be late night, one day to recover, late night, one day to recover, late night, one day, like, that string. <laughs> so that's a little insight into the, uh, into the fatigue of the British <laughs> covering this. But... We open with the Battle Royal. No more contenders, Raw Tag Team Championships. And I guess a little insider, I don't go on Twitter. Well, I'm on Twitter before I go to sleep. But I don't, I very rarely see any of the WWE like promotional material for Monday Night Raw. So when I go in, I, it's seriously, it's just what is on the show. Because I've not been on Twitter. I've not, I have not seen any announced matches. Uh, I think I've seen it like maybe it's rare when it does happen. It does happen. I've definitely tweeted about it in the past. I've moaned about a tag team match being put together. But I, it's really rare, rare when I do see these things. So I had no idea. This had been hyped up on Twitter earlier in the day. I was like, oh, this is interesting. <laughs> interesting thing to kick off with. Just kicking off with a match. Massive plus. Only giving one team an entrance. 
well, we know he's at least in the final two now. <laughs> like, I know the ending now. You've only given focus to one of the teams. <laughs> but it was a number one contenders uh, match for the Raw Tag Team Championships. RK-Bro, who were the only team to get an entrance, versus the already in the ring New Day, Mason T-Bar, Viking Raiders, and Lucha House Party. An interesting order of events to kick off the show. The contest, ready to go. Everybody's made the entrances. Then you have the champions come out and explain the reasoning for the match and its competitors. So that's <laughs> an interesting order. Uh, this is what I call having to explain in the moment because you haven't made it make sense beforehand. AKA, they didn't know they were doing this angle this time last week. And that's what AJ is there to fix and to do. Uh, kicking up into character though, in terms of a segment, uh, kicking up into character... Like, instead of the promotional script that it was in with AJ's bit, it's like, oh, come on, AJ. <laughs> it's just a promotional script going through the characters and things, and it's, he's not a character at this point. He's just introducing them and putting them over a bit. So, yeah. Uh, New Day with the usual style of retort, enjoyable enough, uh, but RK Bro are just, I find them so enjoyable. <laughs> it just, they are the highlight of Raw for me week after week after week, and... No different here. Miz and Morrison with the final interruption. Yeah, the latter taking part to moisten the atmosphere of the tag division. Pretty certain that's what he said. <laughs> or something along those lines. Uh, to be fair, I did laugh at slow-mo Miz as he was panicking, being pushed down the ramp in his wheelchair <laughs> by Morrison. Uh, I thought that was a nice little idea. Uh, and the double RKOs from the bros was a nice, exciting way to go to break. But, a little moan. A weird WWE trope reared its head, like for the first time of like many times tonight, kicking off a segment before the break, and to build that intrigue to keep the audience there for when we return. But when we do return, it's something else entirely. <laughs> we cut to promoting the WWE title angle, showing Lashley enter with his women, with Lashley's ladies. Come on, do the alliteration. <laughs> Lashley's lovely ladies into his special VIP area backstage. And then we also go to the commentators plugging it as well, killing even more time. And it's like, I find that so weird. Like the focus is constantly shifting. And in kayfabe, the thing before the break is still happening <laughs> whilst they're doing all this. <laughs> whilst they're doing all this massive promotion coming from a three, four minute ad break. Can't remember how long they are in America. I know over here, we've got fewer ad breaks, but the ad breaks themselves are longer because they're five minutes, but you only get one. <laughs> so it's a... There's only one in the middle, but it is five minutes, so what would you prefer? More that are shorter, or like Mocha's more of a tangent. <laughs> to me, that's just a tangent. But yeah, it's a really weird trope. I don't I don't get that. Why would you excitingly set up the match and then you spend <laughs> you're trying to then immediately keep them for something longer. It's like be really excited about this match and we return. But don't be but be more excited about this other thing. <laughs> they didn't stay for that. So you can do it after. You don't need to. Is it really that a worry in the modern day? Like are people really switching like they used to in the nineties? Is that is that core audience of people who flip between channels? I've never understood those people. <laughs> I've never been one of them. <laughs> but uh, the channel flippers are like if they do you really need to be playing to them nowadays when it's mostly just a hardcore that watches every single week? Yeah, the recaps as well. Do you need to still be doing that? It's a thing from the past, which kind of made sense in that era. But with the current era, the current technology you're working with, do you need to be doing these things anymore? <laughs> uh, anyway, 
the match itself was a battle royal. So yeah, that's an absolute like an automatic bit of fun baked in. Uh, Morrison, the first eliminated after he went full Yano antics, never go full Yano. Uh, High Justice delivered to Riddle. High Justice? What are they? Paladins? <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> Am I right, D&D nerds? Uh, Mason T-Bar make a lot more sense if you do look at them as non-human protectors of Oath, <laughs> I guess. Anyway, they got eliminated piss easily short after, so... Not that great. <laughs> I just uh, remembered my prediction from last week as well, <laughs> where I said that my prediction was Kofi would be in a tag team match like the last few weeks never happened. And I'm watching this spot on. <laughs> like, losing a number one contenders opportunity had no effect on his character. Who cares? Am I right? Um, also, I was really happy to be proven wrong <laughs> later in the show. We didn't see any of it in this opening of it, so it's interesting to see no kind of nothing reflect on his character here like the first time we see him it was when he was backstage giving an interview that we did see it but both times he was out in the ring and he didn't get any sense of it uh, Kingston being flung over the top rope was what activated that sudden memory like shortly followed by Orton and Riddle in a surprise ring win for the Viking Raiders as I know how to talk trust me using our assumption of RK Bro winning against us and when I say assumption it's because that's how it was presented. They were the only team of focus. <laughs> they were the only one to get that entrance. They got that focus. They were the core focus at the start of the show. So when I say assumption, it's more because that's what the kind of filming and the whole production has told you. They have told you these are the focus. Therefore, you focus on them. My God, <laughs> what a crazy idea. <laughs> What a crazy idea for the audience to then, well, you know, focus on, okay, I reckon they're going to win. I reckon it's quite predictable that they're going to win. The people probably said on Twitter, and I've not looked, and I wasn't awake at the time, but I'm 100% certain somebody went, well, it's obvious RK Bro are going to win. <laughs> I know it, because I did it, but I, I, got, I got that feeling, but I also know why I got that feeling. <laughs> it's because that's what we had been told. <laughs> And uh, yeah, but you can then use it. They use it as I as I oh, the little surprise, a little diversion of oh no no, they didn't win here. And like Viking Raiders from oh actually no, before I get to the Viking Raiders, using our assumption of Arcade Bay winning against us. To be fair, I'm enjoying that odd pairing so much. Like yeah, stretch it the hell out, stretch it all out. Like I'd be happy for them to keep building through to SummerSlam. Like, don't give them a title opportunity until the biggest party of the summer. Just things keep happening. They keep not quite making it. Something like this. And you can just delay it and delay it until the biggest party of the summer. Don't then break them up. <laughs> this is my like, worry WWE. Where with an idea like this, it's an arc for the summer. Rather than establishing characters being in this situation. It's kind of My worry is the idea is it will be over by SummerSlam and it's on to the next stuff. When personally, I would love to see it kick into its highest gear. As in, use the summer to get us more and more invested. Give us that massive moment. Then give us a nice run. And it's like, maybe even at WrestleMania. If, you, if they can get that far. They, they won't. <laughs> It'll be losing at Fastlane. <laughs> now I've said all this. But yeah, keep it going for as long as possible. That's what I do. On to the Viking Raiders. From returning to not being on TV for a month. To backstage fodder to number one contenders. <laughs> like, it really is that sudden. It's that quick in WWE. <laughs> you can go from main event to title contenders in a heartbeat. Because wins and losses do not matter. 
after the break we got our character interaction between the champions and new challengers because oh crap the pay-per-views next sunday honestly it'd be nice if they knew where they were going like long before this week but we have had pay-per-views thrown together last minute without any of this character added so this isn't that that's the only pos- that's the positive I'll give. <laughs> this isn't no character. <laughs> it's it is character. It's giving it's put in the effort to do it. Uh, yes, it is like the week before the pay per view, but you know, we've had it where it's not even happened. So you're watching the match even more, not caring. <laughs> it's, uh, this is before pandemic as well. Like 2019, the number of pay per views. I want to say two. It's not that big actually, <laughs> but the fact it happened more than once is a bit worrying. <laughs> when you got to the week of the pay per view, there's like one or two matches, and the rest of the card gets thrown together on the weekend. <laughs> it was a really weird choice they started doing, and it's coming out that it was all on purpose to try and build the hype on Twitter that weekend. It was like, what you're not going to spend weeks trying to do it. He's just going to do nothing, and then on the weekend go. <laughs> like, surely that doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, next we've got Elias versus Riker's haircut. Yeah, Riker's not getting cheered. <laughs> What's the life grounds return? <laughs> Pretty much as a given, right? <laughs> We're all in agreement here. It's just like, again, I'm not American, don't live in America. He's not going to get cheered, is he? <laughs> it's just, yeah, he's, he, like, the piped in Thunderdome crowd is the best he's going to get. It's just, you just know it, it screams it. It's like, yeah. Like, in terms of like, if the audience doesn't take in any outside context, because there are people who will be like, they're taking those people. He screams John Laurinaitis, mid-2000s muscly guy that just fades away and becomes obsolete. Obsolete. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's that. But then you add the other stuff on top and you've, got, and you've got a whole section of the audience, like half the crowd, if not more, that will, because of what we know about him, will boo him because of that. Maybe it's less than half. Maybe it's a bit over the top there. But still, it's, it's a hefty amount of the audience that will refuse to cheer him. And it's like cause we're in the Twitter age, like it's we know more about the performers than ever before. And yeah, wrestlers in the past may not have been nice people, and you may not have then cared. Times have changed. The curtains have been drawn back a fair bit. We're now in this era where that stuff matters and I think that me using those words is on purpose it matters and uh, Viker's not going to get cheered just to bring it back <laughs> Viker and his haircut is not going to get cheered it's not going to happen he <laughs> will get cheered by some people obviously I'm not saying it'll be eter- like just full arena boots I highly doubt that but he's not going to get that over the only way it will happen is obviously is the mega push idea. But I don't have faith in WWE to commit to things. And if a section of the audience kind of refusing to really get on with it, as in giving no reaction, maybe, I don't see it working in his favour, really. <laughs> I really don't. Uh, so yeah. Anyway, here we go with what I guarantee is at least, at least a series of four straight matches we'll be seeing between these two. <laughs> at least... Bare minimum. What else will they be doing? <laughs> Seriously. The, the, this, this is it. Big muscly Riker out-muscled the less muscly Elias, who just upped and left. Uh, guaranteeing our match next week. <laughs> as in, I, I wrote that. I wrote the first part. as like, I, de- I bet we'll see four straight of these. Like, back to back to back. 
And then this ending happened, and it's like guaranteeing <laughs> the setup for the match next week. As in match one is specifically like it's Benjamin Alexander again. It's like match one is nothing, but here comes match two. <laughs> it wasn't even really match, was it? Uh, but you want to see the match now because you didn't really get to see the match first time. Didn't really want to see it the first time. Ah, but you didn't get it. We've had the heel be a bit heelish. Didn't really want to see it. <laughs> it was stuck in that route. Uh, a cue generic guitar theme, baby. Uh, Vika's now a baby face. We'll see how long it lasts. Right, into bonnets that I love. Hell in a Cell contract signing. <laughs> Drew McIntyre and WWE Champion Bobby Lashley. Uh, hello, Adrian. Assuming also from the UK, given that you got UK in your name. <laughs> UK5. Nobody does that anymore. <laughs> anyway, uh, Lashley taking his sweet time. So the Scott has enough space to reminisce about Robert the Bruce. And before the champion and Lashley's ladies lethargically lumber on down, like, hey, we've got three hours to fill, and whoa, are we going to fill them? <laughs> the stipulation added that if Drew loses, he will never fight Lashley for the title again, as long as this final opportunity is inside hell in a cell. He didn't say it like that, he said it in Scottish. In hell in a cell, man. <laughs> I don't know what part of Glasgow, or, well, it says Glasgow there, I don't part of Scotland that's from. Like, hey, I liked both men bringing up how McIntyre keeps earning consecutive opportunities in spite of cleanly losing. This is the hindsight booking I was talking about with the when I was moaning about the uh, the Alexa Bliss stuff. That's the exact same thing I was talking about. Ah, Adrian's from Burnley. Could I do it in a Burnley accent? No, I can't. <laughs> it's too late. It's ten to midnight. <laughs> Suddenly, do you know how a Burnley accent works? Kind of. <laughs> is the answer. Uh, anyway. Um, yeah, I did like both men bringing it up. It's that hindsight booking of you don't you do stuff that doesn't really make sense, and they've had to make it fit the schedule rather than fit any kind of like moving on logic. So they've not moved on, and the audience obviously that is one of the main things of you, you're not moving on. It feels like we're just stuck in this same gear. The car's not going anywhere. Are you gonna drive somewhere? You're gonna change gears, and you gonna do something. And this is the hindsight booking to kind of course correct in a way. And they normally do it quite well. And I personally did like this. <laughs> I was fine with this. And, like, WWE often reach this point. But at least they hit this character point before Hell in a Cell this time. Like, McIntyre's feud with Orton, Hell in a Cell was the title change to keep the feud going for two more pay-per-views. <laughs> it's just... Yes, one of them was Survivor Series, so it was kind of put on hold for a little bit. But still... There was two more pay-per-views that went by and they were still the title feud. <laughs> That's insane. <laughs> that is insane. Uh, but yeah, when my favourite part of the show, I don't know if there's another comedic thing that got me, but like an RPG character, Drew McIntyre whipped a sword out of his inventory and cut the table in half. <laughs> sword out of nowhere. Just <laughs> bang. <laughs> the kind of wrestling bollocks I absolutely love. <laughs> I thought that was... Uh, easily it made me laugh the most. It was... It was just, the commentators reacting to it as well. I was like, oh my God, he's got a sword. How did you not see that? <laughs> How did nobody see that? The fact that the logic of this, the only logic I could think of where this makes sense is if he, again, like an RPG character, has an inventory where he can just pull out a massive, massive mallet and just slam it down. There's, that's my logic here. That's, that's, how, that's my reality. Drew McIntyre went into his inventory Found the sword. <laughs> it's a two-handed weapon. Had to drop the pencil. <laughs> he, he just he found that and he whoa, bang. Oh my god, he's got a sword. 
Oh, it's just sword out of nowhere. Might be just oh, <laughs> it's just the fact that was a reaction as well. Like uh, it's it's amazing. It's yeah, I love it. <laughs> I absolutely love it. Uh, yes, it's in a bit of a piss take, but it's it's wrestling bollocks, and I love it. <laughs> the idea that the characters in the ring are selling the fact that he drew a sword out of nowhere. <laughs> it's just oh, it's amazing. Uh, because where where else was he hiding it apart from production passing it him? Like, there is no... <laughs> I can't think of a kayfabe place where the sword was, <laughs> which is my favourite thing about it. And I was like, oh, it was under the table, but Lashley would have... He was also sat at the table. <laughs> it wasn't that... It wasn't that ability to be hidden. Oh, it's amazing. It's a big sword as well. I love it. Complete wrestling bollocks. It's great. <laughs> uh, anyway, let's move on to Ricochet versus... Ricochet? Versus Humberto Carrillo. Sheamus, <laughs> grumpy at ringside after getting his face smashed in last week. As we transition on from Drew's inventory sword onto Sheamus yelling gobshites. <laughs> You're gobshites! <laughs> at Richard and Humble Bert. A, a big pop from me for successfully sneaking in Irish swearing. Get the feck in there, Sheamus. <laughs> yes. Uh, Rich, the more opportunistic of the two. As both of our top US cont title contenders are given time for a wee back and forth, but we got to get that triple threat, so screw the wrestling to get to the finish ASAP, I guess. Uh, Spanish Fly off the apron for a counter draw, and it's Seamus' music that plays to end the segment. Ugh, these are your top contenders. We're meant to believe they can challenge Seamus for the title, and... The champion's music is playing because of how much they both suck. <laughs> not, a, not a great <laughs> momentum pressure or convincer that they should be challenging for the title. Uh, no, no. Like, uh, last week, I wasn't a fan of last week's booking either, where they had them back-to-back -back win via distraction roll-ups. That was a weird issue on last week's show. There were like three or four over the course of the show, distraction roll-ups. But this was back-to-back -back here. And the... Kind of, yes, they don't win convincingly, but they got to win. So in terms of trying to convince me that they should be facing or be in line to face the US champion, they both pinned the US champion. So then this match kind of makes sense. But if the idea is to go for a triple threat, then you've got that problem of, well, when you've got this match, one of them's going to have to lose, and he can't have either of them lose. There's going to have to be a count, double countout or a double pin or something. There's something to happen. And they went with the double countout, and Seamus laughing at them. But, like... Ugh, it's why should I care about these two challenging the champion again <laughs> Like it's a plus for them setting up something slightly different from the run of the mill title challenge but why should I care when not one of the three people in this feud has been presented as winners <laughs> it's just they're all losing that's so impressive <laughs> how do you even achieve that oh it's incredible uh, I do overall really, I'm really enjoying Seamus' character still since moving to Raw, doing his whole Drew McIntyre thing. He's hitting a fantastic stride in a, one of his best career runs, and I'm still enjoying his character work specifically as US champion. Uh, he's obviously in the drudges of Raw's booking. I still think the work that he specifically is doing is great. He's still on a fantastic run, but it's getting marred in there with like what he's given to work with, which isn't his fault. So it's two criticisms. He is a so the, the critique of him, the guy doing the job in terms of whatever what the guy's name is, who is Seamus, and him doing that, he's doing a great job. 
but he's being he's given he's being given shite. <laughs> it's kind of working with it. Really impressive. Uh, before we move on, Seamus is a plastic mask man. Plastic mask. I did want to hit up on that. I forgot to make a note on that. Something about that plastic mask gimmick in WWE where it always works and it's always great. Like it's always when you first see it, it's like this one might be a bit of a weird like. I hide from the I'm the disfigured man and the phantom of the opera. No, do not look upon my gaze. <laughs> that sort of thing. But with like with with the characters they do in WWE, for some reason, that pantomime theatre no <laughs> like, it really works in WWE. Just the way they produce their television, that really does work. And yeah, like Cody Rhodes is my like, fantastic example. Uh, Trish Stratus did it as well. Oh, there must have been somebody else. I can't think. Does Undertaker count? <laughs> he was like the, he was legitimately joined for Phantom of the Opera with <laughs> that mask, but he was like he was meant to be undead, so that kind of works anyway. A bit more naturally. Tangent. My main one is Cody Rhodes, where it's just the just and uh, Trish Stratus. They're the two, and it really really works. <laughs> just that, just that. Do not look upon my hideous face. No, do not hurt my face. And uh, yeah, Seamus. Oh, it's a fan. It's, uh, Stephen Farley's his real name. Cool. I will not remember that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I suck with names. Uh, Stephen Farley. Stephen Farley. That is an Irish name. Uh, but yeah, um, Seamus, again, it's been one week and he's killing it. It, it really works. It's immediately, like some characters, whenever they like ring, like they've got an injury there, it's like, oh, it feels a little bit awkward that you're going to have to wrestle through this. Seamus, it just fits him. He's got this no-nonsense brawler attitude that he really is the best. And the fact he can't hide his wounds at all is like, oh, it's it's such a fantastic knock on his character. And it feels so natural because it wasn't a scripted thing. It was a thing that happened to him in the competition. And it's now had to be integrated into the presentation of the story. But it works really well because it was a natural thing that happened. And the guy, again, Stephen Farley, <laughs> really knows how to... In- Kind of incorporate into this current character, like he really understands this this version of Seamus, and it oozes it all out of it. Just the the masks just fit in perfectly. Quite often you can tell by looking at their Twitter, like how naturally do these things fit into their characters where things go a little bit wrong, a bit awry. Uh, Seamus is to a T. He's he's got it down. He's just, he's like seemingly he's created a character here that he knows inside and out. Knows exactly how they would react to a thing. Like he's been, been playing a D&D character for years. They know exactly what that person would say at that point. Uh, not that I've... never <coughs> undertaken <laughs> such activities. <laughs> but yeah. Um, I'm loving Seamus currently. Yeah. Like, Harry and RK Bro are my two favourite things on the show. It's just that, obviously, Seamus' booking isn't as strong as RK Bro. Uh, that's kind of my okay bro the actual writing and booking is a lot more stable Seamus is having to deal with this stuff and like random contenders feeling like they're going to get a push Uh, so yeah 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 Uh, Senior broke his nose was it Seth Rollins who broke Cena's nose I want to say that from the uh, he did the it was when he was doing his knee finisher and he broke his nose completely busted I want want to say and Seth Rollins then used that is it it's to have the heel use it as well like you don't have to be like when it quite often is a heel that's doing the dramatic gimmick but it, it wasn't all the, all three circumstances I gave there in terms of Trish Jatters, Cody and now Seamus all of them were heel at the time so it worked really well for all of them uh, but yeah that John Cena when he got his nose busted then the heel used it so look, look what I did in terms of like disfiguring him and then he bravely doesn't wear it it's like ah 
I like that. Yes. Yeah. The uh, the disfigured face then mixed in with how the character reacts to it. It's just they know how to do it. Like when a thing happens like that, it oozes so much more character than I don't know Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke walking away after Nia Jax slips because that's just as good as winning. Then why does any of the competition matter? <laughs> it's, it's yeah. Uh, yeah, seeing how a character just naturally adapts to something like that, it it tells you so much more about a character than just blatantly just. It's like it's another WWE issue I've got. I know I've already overrun because of my rant <laughs> at the start, but I'm, I'm just one more thing. Yeah, with the uh, one of my one of my main issues is the way they script what the wrestlers say in like talk show segments or backstage bits or when they're talking to their rivals. It's the way that they just state their traits and their kind of emotions as in they say I am this I don't like you this is bad that's that type of thing they're not characters <laughs> and you can uh, but the fact that I love Seamus is he's not doing any of that you get all of it from the way he carries himself the way he treats the other people he doesn't directly say <laughs> Uh, well, I guess he does anyway. He was, he was blatantly laughing at them, but it doesn't. It feels a lot more natural than the kind of scripting of "Well, you're a bully, and I don't like bullies." It's like, oh, what is this? <laughs> what is this? Uh, Seamus says it feels so natural. So that's on the plot again. This raw was so much better than recent times. Again, like two point five out of five or five out of ten show, but we're getting zeros and ones, and it feels so much better because of that. And there's things like this, things like Sheamus, things like RK Bro that really elevate the show. Of course, Drew McIntyre inventory sword also doesn't hurt. <laughs> uh, also, as I brought up earlier, correct me on the Kofi thing where I was saying character showing no reaction to losing a number one contender massive opportunity. In the ring, there was like no character effect on display, and uh, in, in either of his two matches. But backstage, last week's loss was all over Kofi as MVP approached him. So I just wanted to make that point. Yes, I was going a bit... Oh, my prediction last week was Kofi returned to the tag division like nothing ever happened. Because these characters aren't characters, they're plot devices. <laughs> and he... Uh, uh, no, he did show character. Backstage, as in when action was happening, he got no sense of it. But when it was backstage and it was relevant for his character to be a character, he was a character. Which, to be fair, that's the kind of thing I could critique. I don't know Doctor Who. <laughs> it's the type of thing I could critique on Doctor Who, but on wrestling, where the standard is so much lower, where you, because with Doctor Who, you expect a drama in that circumstance to have the character have character. That's a given. That's what you would expect. So when there isn't, you're like, that's wrong. But in WWE, the bar it's the other way round. <laughs> the bar is so much lower, you don't expect there to be that level. And when there is, oh yeah, nice advice, nice advice. Speaking of character, Eva Marie, inspirational VTR, uh, she'll be debuting next week. Arr, Eva Marie. Arr. <laughs> Again, could be, I say this every week, this could be a great character. I was really into her character this, uh, when in a 2016 run, I want to say, on SmackDown. Uh, I thought that could go somewhere great. She got in her own way. Sucks. I really do want my lack of faith to be proven wrong here. <laughs> As in, this could be a great character. I just have zero faith in the current, I guess, production climate team of WWE to carry it out. Whatever, whoever is at fault, whatever person that is, for the reasons the show is like it is, 
Because of that, I have no faith that a character like this that would need consistency, that thrives on that kind of attention to detail, I don't expect <laughs> any... I don't have faith. What this show tells me is maybe three weeks and then we immediately start falling off the wagon. <laughs> if that, Mansoor was one, dropped, brought back again. They do that sometimes. Renka Belair was one of those where she was brought up and then just disappeared off the face of the earth and then slowly built back up again. At least with Eva Marie. They've sh- seemingly, with the promos, showing intent. Like, there is an idea. Hopefully there is an idea and they're not keep showing these because they're just finalising what they actually want to do. Hopefully you know by this point. <laughs> Hopefully. Uh, anyway, she debuts next week. So we're going to find out real, real soon. Right now... Into the drudges of the show, where it's a lot of stuff that just happened. So, Jeff Hardy versus Cedric Alexander. A mid-card vet managing his way off of main events into a nothing match against a mid-card character going nowhere fast. I saw on WWE's Twitter... Well, not on WWE's Twitter. I saw on Twitter from other people that this was apparently a big win for Jeff Hardy. This being his first since January. And yeah, that would be a big win for his momentum. Thing is... They didn't bring that up once on the show itself. So in terms of the actual product, what what are you, what is the story they are telling me? I was told the story about a rookie wanting to brush aside the old past as the vet teaches a lesson. Absolutely no mention or nothing to do with Hardy's losing streak. The streak was never mentioned. It was never presented as a thing. I wouldn't have known it was a thing if I didn't exist on Twitter. Wouldn't have seen it. Wouldn't have known. And uh, what, what really helped with that is they did two camera promos like immediately telling us their motivations and perspectives going in. And I'm a massive fan of those, but that really helps with this specific <laughs> thing where I saw on Twitter before watching Raw, again, I often need to go on to respond to people, I see things. Like I saw on Twitter that this was... Like, this was, like, a massive win for Jeff Hardy's first since January. This is like, yeah, well, you should be cheering Jeff Hardy. This is great. You got this massive win. It's like, oh, okay, so that's what the segment's about then, right? And then I watched the show. Oh, wait, no, yeah. No mention. <laughs> this this is an outside-of-the-show narrative that's been put on. It's a real narrative that does exist. They just didn't use it. So it's not part of the narrative they're telling me. It's a part of the, I guess, fandom narrative that isn't the same thing. As in, the story the fans put on it, because it's maybe a thing that has happened, but either they didn't realise or they didn't really want to use that. It was like, oh, we didn't mean to have him be on such a losing streak, or they didn't know, but fans kept track of that. Uh, I'm not nerdy enough to know that. <laughs> I can't remember, like a, a few weeks ago. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, hey, Nicole McDonald. Hey. <laughs> but yes, I'm, uh, I'm a... I'm a fan of those to camera promos and that immediately helps me because I was told Jeff Hardy's motivations and perspectives as well as Cedric Alexander. No mention of a losing streak. It was all about vet versus rookie and disrespect and proving a lesson or pushing aside the past. That's what this match was about. And uh, the action of the match was strong as well. Like Cedric losing to his own cocky mocking, costing him at a vital moment. And uh, like just to hammer home the point that I'm uh, kind of making here as well of the the Jeff Hardy losing streak is a great example of a story put on by the fandom that wasn't actually told. 
Uh, as in, you've had to put your own thing on there to get more investment in this because what you were told wasn't that at all. <laughs> so uh, Byron saying, his own worst enemy, uh, as uh, Byron put it. Uh, Graves saying the Swanton bomb never gets old. Uh, like, purposeful phrasing there. Uh, as uh, Smith chuckles at, at the veteran mocking Cedric after the match. Any guesses what the story was here? <laughs> Any guesses? <laughs> Could it possibly have been the disrespectful rookie against the veteran out to prove and make a lesson. Nothing to do with the losing streak. <laughs> Again, quite often, if you are if you definitely want to know what the story is they're trying to tell, listen to the commentators after the pinfall, because they're kind of selling, they're going hard selling the, like, the final beats of the story before we switch over. And they were hammering that home. Nothing to do with the losing streak. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, if they may bring it up next week, because the fandom was so strongly talking about it when it went on Twitter. But I kind of feel like, yeah. Uh, anyway, tag team time. Hell yeah, just checking what I've got. Yeah, I've got like three more matches to talk about. It's because I've, I've gone over, I try to keep it under an hour, but I've gone over because it took me 30 minutes ranting about <laughs> Alexa Bliss and Lily at the start of the show. Uh, we're now into the judges of Raw. Anyway, so Nikki Cross and Asuka versus Ray Ripley and Charlotte Flair. Uh, Nikki getting, finally getting a real in-ring opportunity against the champion and challenger, the story regarding her two-minute beat-the-clock non-losses <laughs> as victories. As her proving herself. Is, is that how that stipulation works now? Because, <laughs> a little thing, that's not how it's worked in the past. <laughs> it's never been, if the person you're facing in the beat-the-clock challenge doesn't get beaten, then the one who didn't get beaten wins. But no, it's just it's just time limit draw. Does that mean time limit draws... <laughs> How do they work? <laughs> anyway, it's, it's it's an interesting one. It was Nikki saying you couldn't last two. <laughs> That's my, my Nikki Cross impression. You couldn't last. You know, someone talking to Nikki Cross. You couldn't last two minutes. Oh, I could. I could last two minutes. I tried to Scotland. Scotland. Nikki Cross. I can't do it. I did Lorraine Kelly earlier. Bloody. Like, oh no, Lorraine Kelly. Oh no. <laughs> That's Nikki Cross. Oh no. Uh, no, that's too far into Lorraine Kelly. <laughs> I definitely went past Nicky Cross into Lorraine Kelly there. You have to dial it back a bit. Uh, like doing Irish, where you go full offensive Irish, leprechaun stuff. Like, hello, hello! Then you just dial it back a little bit so you're no longer being offensive. <laughs> and a little bit a little bit more like that. Anyway, tangent. That was a massive tangent. Uh, so, Nicky Cross and Asuka versus Ray Ripley and Charlotte Flair. But how will they coexist? <laughs> it's like they only have the one story. They've got no other stories for the women's title feuds. <laughs> but how will they coexist? We got it twice in the build to WrestleMania for both of the women's title matches and uh, here we are again. Uh, I say like because surely they do have different stories. They just don't reuse them. Uh, one of the better examples with Flair and Ripley never showing signs of getting along. So I preferred this over the Bianca Belair and Sasha stuff and the Ripley Asuka stuff. Like it would just land a tad better if, like I just showed there, if I hadn't watched this story I don't know how many times this year, and by this year, like, it's only this is only the sixth month. We've not had the sixth month yet. We've just started it. We're not even halfway. <laughs> and we've already had the, how will they get along? How will they coexist? We've had it so many times. So many. Oh, it's like NXT where there used to be friends storylines. Count the number of NXT women's division stories in NXT are the We Used To Be Friends storyline. We used to be such good friends, but now she's different. Is it? You see it so often. I don't know if they've become self-aware and maybe stopped now, but it happens a lot. <laughs> it happens a lot. 
Uh, normally outside of title feud. Anyway, the wrestling ability, only getting the team of champion and challenger so far against one actually gelling in Cross and Asuka. Eventually, the blondes just lamping each other into a full-on wrestle. Flair hitting natural selection on her tag partner as Nikki stole the win. Continuing the story of Cross scoring victories over Flair and Ripley. They're not, though. <laughs> as in, she technically didn't lose the past two. I don't know why that automatically means she won, but apparently now it does. So she, I guess, didn't lose. <laughs> she didn't lose the, the previous two. This time she actually did score a pinfall, but it's not out of her being great. It's out of the other team falling out and her picking up the scraps. But Cross acts like it's a, these are major victories. That she's really proving herself here. A commentary also telling us that that's exactly what she's doing. So that's what they are, right? That's what they're meant to be. Like, And I was watching this going, it's just a matter of time before a heel tells her the obvious and then we in the audience go, yeah, but they're right though. <laughs> As if they're taking the frank critique and they have a heel said it, say it. It happens quite a lot uh, to kind of brush it aside as a thing. Like now we've addressed the issue, can we please move on type of stuff. No, 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 no. It's just a matter of time before it happens because it's so blatantly not. <laughs> uh, yeah, this... If you are the person in the beat the clock challenge that doesn't lose, that means you it apparently means you win. <laughs> anyway, and this what this was a feeding off a of scraps win that was then celebrated as a I'm look at me prove myself. I'm, I'm really stepping up here. So, are you though? <laughs> anyway, hopefully next week remembers that the match they're building towards the pay per view and focuses on the champion and challenger over the side conflict. I don't hold out hope. I expect them to focus on the Nikki Cross stuff again. But that's what I would do, just focus a bit stronger on Ripley and Charlotte Flair. This, to be fair, this was a decent way to do that. Just the, the ultimate falling out, and then you can have them next week address it, maybe just verbally, and then you go into the final stuff for the pay-per-view. Yeah. It'll be, a, it'll be a decent match. They're both great wrestlers. I'm assuming it's going to be strong. I'm assuming it's going to be great. I've got hope. The pay-per-views have been relatively strong in this era. It was... Fantastic to see them fall from four hours down to two and a half as an Englishman. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's amazing. I love it. But, uh, yeah. yeah. I need to move on now. <laughs> yeah, the Hell in a Cell pay should be strong. It should be strong. Even if the build is a bit naff and Hell in a Cell matches aren't announced until, like, really last minute. <laughs> A.K.A. the feuds really don't feel like they deserve a Hell in a Cell stipulation. But it's the pay-per-view. The schedule dictates it. So here we are. Yeah. I am on that side of... Maybe you shouldn't have so many gimmick pay-per-views when your stories aren't naturally building to the stipulation. So it's just, we do this because it's now the date that this thing happens on, where I'm a much bigger fan of you don't have like set stipulations because of the date. Uh, aside from Royal Rumble and stuff like that, apart from those specials, Survivor series things. But like massive feud enders, like Hell in a Cell, it loses a lot because it's this is just... A lot of the time the matches don't feel like they deserve it. Sometimes they do. But this year there isn't really anything for that. Anyway, Gulak versus Mansoor. Ah, yes. Mansoor with the speedy run down the ramp young boy entrance <laughs> to face an already in the ring Drew Gulak. Ah, yes. I wonder what the over-under on this segment going under five minutes is. <laughs> and huzzah, it went four. <laughs> I predicted it perfectly. Earlier in the night, Ali asked the question of what Mansoor would do. Like, yes, he's really he's saying that he's ready for the match, but what will he do when Gulak does whatever it takes to win? So this match was Drew ticking off each individual cheeky method Ali listed. 
uh, Mansoor reversing a roll-up, pulling on the tights into a pin of his own. And hey, if I was Drew and I had a rose unwittingly shoved up my bum, I'd also become a nothing plot device <laughs> in somebody else's story. Uh, I'm genuinely liking the mini-build developing between Mansoor and Ali. Uh, fingers crossed they remember it longer than they did the storyline for the guy he literally just beat. <laughs> Hopefully. Uh, that said, this this Ali and Mansoor storyline does feel miles better, though. <laughs> like, to be fair, it's miles better than whatever Gulak uh, Angel Garza was building to. Like, I do miss... My most unknowingly homoerotic storyline in WWE. I miss it. <laughs> but uh, it's gone. It's gone. With Angel Gaza. So now Drew Gulak is a plot device in somebody else's story. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's a show. But yeah, Mansoor and Ali have so far earned the development. It's been two weeks and I've loved both promos. And both guys seem to be nailing their kind of perspectives and characters in it. Good stuff. Good stuff. And the final thing to talk about, and I'm happy it's a positive... You got your 30 minutes of grumpy imp. <laughs> now you've had your slowly building to a... Uh, no, 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 no. The rest of the show is fine. A major improvement over the past weeks. It wasn't a 1 or a 0 out of 10. Massive improvement. Uh, Matt Riddle and Kofi Kingston with Xavier Woods. A follow-on from the final annihilation spot of the Battle Royal that opened the show. The building angst between the two teams continuing to develop. Thumbs up from me. Uh, the question being... Would Randy come down to help his teammate from ringside? Initially, no. But has his character developed enough to be at that point? Yes. Siri, play Randy Newman. <laughs> They're going to be friends. Uh, this time, the attempted RKO from the bro failed and he ate a trouble in paradise. Paradise? Uh, Randy does not approve. Orton, Randy Orton. Um, I'm sure Randy Newman senses a positive aura in the air whenever new friends are made. <laughs> but yeah, it was a, a nice little follow-on. As we continue to build that angst and kind of refocus Kofi Kingston in a more natural way into the assumably uh, pay-per-view feud that's going to happen between New Day and these guys. Which I think, because I was saying, it feels like it could quite naturally go to a tight opportunity for RK-Bro. But because I'd like this to last as long as possible, that means there is benefit in holding off their title opportunity, even if that means you're then temporarily giving it to a team that weren't even on TV. I mean, the benefit is, you found a way to get them on TV. <laughs> you found that way. And then we get to what we've got here, where we've got RK Bro still burning really well, and my critique gets put to the side because they did it. They found a way to transition Kofi naturally from being number one contender and losing and then in back into the arcade bro feud. So yeah, and Kofi Kingston won. He got his win back. He got his win back after Xavier Woods lost to both of them. Kofi Kingston's the guy that comes in and wins. <laughs> uh, but it was because, it was specifically why as well, where Matt Riddle was going for that RKO, but it failed, and then Kofi Kingston followed up. And Randy Orton's just like, what you like, kid? You got a lot to learn. You got a lot to learn. Uh, so yeah, anyway. Yeah, still massively high on RK Pro, pun intended, and I'm uh, still really enjoying. What's your thing I mentioned? Oh no, <laughs> it wasn't Inventory Sword Drew McIntyre. <laughs> I was praising something else. Uh, Sheamus, that was it. I still really enjoy Sheamus's character, even if that the storylines he's been putting in aren't the best. I'm still loving the character. But yeah, the main talking point, the main thing that I guess the wrestling world has been talking about this entire time uh, since the show. Is Alexa Bliss? Is the Alexa Bliss and Lily stuff crap, the worst thing ever, or not? And again, 
yes, it's crap, but like I don't. Uh, Twitter is this in that world of ultimates of it's either the best thing ever or the worst thing ever. This is bad, but it's not the worst thing ever because that bar is so incredibly low. <laughs> WWE have already set such a low bar that this is just crap. It's just it's just not. No, it's just not TV that's made well. <laughs> it's not outright offending its audience. <laughs> it's as in when I say offending, I mean you walk away feeling offended. <laughs> that's that's the level. That's the low level they have achieved in the past. They are not at that point. It was just a bit crap. <laughs> so, yeah. And it followed on with the like, exact same tone that all of the Alexa Bliss segments have. I just really wish there was a plan. And it screams there isn't, so they're just going to keep playing that string as they keep dragging along the plot. Uh, anyway, that's the end of the review. I'm going to go to bed. I went way longer than I meant to because I had to rant about the ending point of the show. So that meant for one segment that was going on for half an hour. But there we go. Finally got through the whole of Raw. Uh, yeah, um, it's it, again, it's not a show that deserves a review this long. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a giggle. I've had an enjoyment. I, I I enjoy the review way more than I do enjoy watching the show. Like I enjoy doing the Photoshop more than for the thumbnail more than I do or the picture next to me, which is that way. Yeah, <laughs> I enjoy doing that way more than I do watching the thing. Because the thing itself is just a bit, it's a bit naff. That's <laughs> how you put it. But. In terms of should you watch this show or not, because I don't like to, even though I've been talking about numbers, it's kind of to give an impression. I normally give my, like my final review, my takeaway point is normally a phrase or a sentence or more of a, a feeling coming away from it. And for me, I would say this week's Raw was not a zero or one out of ten. It was so much better than that. So much better. I'd even give it a five out of ten. <laughs> I'd even give it that. <laughs> As in, they've made it to an average... Like, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. It, 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 it didn't make me qu question my wrestling fandom. <laughs> it didn't get to that point. Yeah, it was mostly fine. And then the main event was just... The main event was crap. Oh, I felt it was crap. But the rest of the show was great. It, it was fine. It was strong enough. I have my moans, I have my critiques. But to actually watch the thing, yeah, it was fine. It wasn't exceptional. And it wasn't awful. It was just on... <laughs> with some with some positives thrown in there as well so yeah so well done well done on improving from the awful run we've had as in for me they've with this show they finally broke that streak as in the one out of ten or even below just constant streak since Wrestlemania and I want to say even the weeks before it were the same just counting on Wrestlemania to kind of give them that spark and then it happened and the spark was never there. Raw was exactly the same feeling for it has been for months now, and like this isn't a recent issue. This has been a case for Raw for months, and this week finally broke that streak, and he gave us a two out of ten, <laughs> two and a half, <coughs> like a average Raw type of type of review. That's what I give this. So well done. In other times, that's like oh, probably shouldn't check it out then. In modern day times, that means there's been a massive improvement. <laughs> so well done, Raw. Anyway, that's in the review. I will be back tomorrow to review NXT. What did you make of Alexa Bliss and the whole thing to do with Lily and Shayna Baszler? Uh, did you take something away from it? Or are you like me where it just doesn't really mean anything anymore because it feels so strong whenever I watch it that I'm making it up week to week? Uh, yeah, just as I, the phrase I used earlier, stringing along the plot as the strings begin to fray. Uh, 
that's still what they're doing. Anyway, I'll be back tomorrow for the NXT review, where I'll most likely be a chirper chappy because it's NXT TakeOver in your house this Saturday, this Sunday, Saturday. Yeah, I don't think I'm able to review it. I might try and hit somebody up about doing a later review, uh, but they, 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 the listens for those are normally nothing. <laughs> it's just the number of them, though. Yeah, as in, uh, whenever I've done a take, it's quite often with a takeover, I've just, it just lands on a bad week. And I'm, or I'm saving my energy for the main WWE thing. So in terms of my actual life, I've already put things off for the main roster thing to cover that. No thing people actually tune in for. <laughs> like, I've. I do that, but for the takeovers, yeah, as in they're not often worth the time and effort they require to put in, because uh, you need you need that kind of you need the you need there to be the reason to do it, and I can put my efforts better elsewhere. It's basically what I'm saying. <laughs> anyway, I will be back tomorrow for the NXT review. I still do the NXT reviews, still those. Anyway. Uh, thank you for watching, liking, engaging in any form or any manner. It's uh, always highly appreciated, never taken for granted. Uh, uh, yeah, Massive thank you. Yes. And I will be back tomorrow for the next review. I'm repeating myself because I need to sign off and I'm very tired. <laughs> so with that, uh, I bid you adieu. You can follow me on Twitter at the damn Implicat. You can follow Wrestling Head. And also on Twitch as well. I've been doing the implications with two S's over on Twitch. Streaming, what a stream yesterday. Can't remember what it's called, but I streamed Horizon Zero Dawn today. <laughs> Outer Worlds, that's what I streamed. I'm streaming that tomorrow as well. So yeah, playing video games. I made affiliate, so I'm really happy with that. So yeah, I can finally put him... I mean, the main point about making affiliate is, oh, you can finally make money, but yeah, that's more like theoretically. <laughs> really, I'm just happy I can finally do like channel rewards and things for watching, and I can do like my own personal emojis and things. Uh, so yeah, anyway... Also, follow Wrestling Headlines, the site we're doing this for, uh, the main uh, business daddy. Uh, wrestling at Russell Headlines on Twitter, that's Wrestle without an E, and Wrestling Headlines over on Facebook. And with that, I bid you adieu. Adios. Ten.